The lectionary passages, the collection of scripture that we read, are strange about leaving out some things that don't seem to make sense to the people who pick the text. So the section that Cheryl reads of this piece of a letter from Paul to his disciple Timothy um, focuses on his dependence on God and his need for rescue. But I want to read just these two verses as well because I find them fascinating. Paul tells Timothy, I solemnly urge you to proclaim the message, to be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. This is special. For the time is coming where people will not put up with sound doctrine. But having itching ears, hear me, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. Itching ears. <laughs> Caught my imagination. This is a really vulnerable text. Paul has been on trial and it didn't go very well. He knows he's going to lose the battle, which is to say he knows he's going to die. And he's been on trial for preaching sound doctrine to the people of God, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ past the Jewish people out into the Gentiles' world. In fact, Paul almost single-handedly gets Christianity to Europe. But he's on trial for not being a good Jew any longer, and he's writing to his young mentee, Timothy, and he's mourning that the trial didn't go well, and he's also grieving that the people who were with him, his posse, his people, the ones who had his back, have now abandoned him, just like they abandoned Jesus in those dark trial times. They abandoned Paul as well. But he's passing the baton, and he's telling Tim, even if the folks leave you, you have to keep on doing the good work. He's saying, I've fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Paul is testifying, and it sounds like he's bragging on himself, but actually he's bragging on the God who called him into life and ministry. I fought the good fight with God underneath my wings. I finished the race with God blowing me down the paths of righteousness. I kept the faith, and God is the one who's responsible. Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? And why not me? And why not every man? And he's saying at the same time that the work is not finished, someone else, Timothy and some others, have to keep it moving. It's cold outside. The seas are not really doing much commerce and the boats aren't moving, so he wants Timothy to hurry up and come and bring his winter coat and bring his Bible and his parchments and his papers. He's telling Timothy that Alexander the coppersmith has done him wrong. He's saying, watch out for that dude. He can't be trusted. And Paul is saying, the people have itchy ears. They will turn to fickle teachings when times get rough. But Tim is to keep on telling the truth, preaching the message, telling the stories. He is now to keep the faith. He is now to continue the fight and finish the work of building the reign of God on earth. 
This text makes me think about three things. I'm not a great three-point preacher, but I'm going to tell you three things that this text makes me think about. One is itchy ears are looking for white supremacist ideologies. Itching ears are looking for, have been looking for, have created white supremacist ideologies masquerading for Christianity since the beginning of time. When Paul took the gospel to Europe, Paul didn't take white supremacy to Europe. Paul was a good Jew, you've heard him say it before, who took the gospel of Jesus Christ to Europe, but Europeans empired Christianity as soon as they heard it through their itching ears, looking for a way to justify the hierarchical, white supremacist, sexist, homophobic ideologies that already lived in their lives, in their hearts. Didn't God ordain us, bless us, design us to be on top? White supremacist ideologies are a lie, a false doctrine, and the itching ears who didn't want to believe the first will be last and the last will be first, who didn't want to believe that the kingdom of God was about children having a safe way, a good way, didn't want to believe that women were called to preach the gospel. In fact, the first preacher was a woman named Mary Magdalene. Itching ears created a gospel of empire, and that's what's preached today in pulpits in and out every Sunday. Somebody say amen. amen. Two, even though the lies of white supremacist ideologies masquerade as Christianity, we are still called to fight with faith until the finish. And the finish line means the gospel of God's love is available to and about all the people and black lives matter. When we have fought the race, when we have finished the battle, Latinx lives will matter, Asian lives will matter, gay lives will matter, trans lives will matter, bi lives will matter, and black lives will matter. And because black lives matter, all lives will matter. Let us not let a passing hashtag be the way we think about the redemption of uh, black people everywhere. This is kingdom-building work. We, like Paul, like MLK, like Fannie Lou Hamer, are called to, number three, resist with our truth-telling and with our lives. Resistance is an act of faith, a holy act, and it is the only way we will change the world. That's three things. Let me say a little more. There's a lot of itchy ears talking around. When a racist who paid for an ad in the New York Times to demand the death of five boys who turned out to be innocent, dares to compare his impeachment inquiry 
with lynching and sets up a fake event at a historically black university to receive an award, a bipartisan award, celebrating his, I don't know, je ne sais quoi, because <laughs> what could it possibly be? I don't know. Humanitarian-ish love of people of color and standing up for the black folks. I don't know. That's itchy ears talk. Somebody say itchy ears talk. When clergy in the great state of Texas sign a letter to take a pledge that they will no longer ever preach that gospel of Jesus and justice are synonyms, when they will in fact say it is a false teaching that Jesus wants justice, when they will in fact say, of course, the created order that the sovereign God made was for some people to be on top and some people to be on the bottom and some people to be rich and some people to be poor and some people to be white and some people to be black. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's some itchy ears talk. Somebody say itchy ears talk. It's not new, itchy ears talk. In uh, Northampton, Massachusetts, a letter was written called a slaveholder's letter. This happened in 1850. Some nice white Christian, I love white people, you know, I'm not picking on y'all, I'm just talking about what happens. Here is a man who writes a letter to the newspaper, like an op-ed or like a, I don't know, an Instagram post, so to speak. Um, concerning an African-American man who wanted to buy his family. And he's deeply concerned about this. Why does this black man want to buy his family in, from slavery into freedom? He says, dear sir, let me tell you what I believe. I believe our Savior thought it of far more consequence to teach falling, erring men that honesty was far more indispensable in his sight than this thing called slavery at which you revolt. Is that clear? I believe that our Savior thought honesty was far more indispensable in his sight than slavery. Let me say it again. Better to be honest than to let go of your slaves. That's a mid years talk. That the Yankees and the English had all this glorious work to themselves, and now after making themselves rich with the spoils, now they want to put in our midst a race of beings whose skin so perfectly represents the cupidity and blackness of their hearts. They're ready to see their throats cut, and if necessary, to help do it so they can be free. I sincerely believe the Negroes, as a class of laborers, are the most happy class of beings in the world. And I have often thought so when I've seen them together in the field, talking and cracking jokes. Or at the corn shucking, singing their merry songs, or at the camp meeting, joining in glorious 
joyful clapping of their hands with the very joy that things were as well with them as they are. Just imagine a set of poor old women and little children weeping and listening to the graphic description of their wretchedness by some pseudo-abolitionist. And think how perfectly ridiculous is such a sight. It's perfectly ridiculous to be an abolitionist when the darkies are so happy and the darkness of their skin matches the darkness of their heart. That's some itchy ear talk. Now, those itchy ear talks feel so outrageous to us that we like, oh yeah, I can tell that that's itchy ear thought. But there's some itchy ear preaching and teaching and Bible study happening all around the country every day, and it's subtle. It's gentle. It's not that offensive. The word they shows up. I don't know if they are ready for leadership when a new job is being offered in a corporate office and the money will be twice the amount paid to somebody dark, but the new white lady will get the job because they don't want the job or they aren't capable of doing the job. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's some itchy ears talk in my collegiate church, in our corporate office where we're not quite sure that black and brown people have the capacities to do the work. When I, as the African-American president of the collegiate church, have to convince white administrators to send out the stuff I've asked to be sent. In this church, itchy ear talk. In churches all over the country who, who talk justice, but nobody on the board is black who talk, we shall overcome, but would never call African-American clergy to do the work. Itchy ear talk can make even African-American people prefer a white clergy person. That was my experience when I got here. Let Jackie start talking truth, demanding non-gossip, insisting on anti-racist work, and the chitter-chatter around the old black people was, wasn't it better when the white man was here. Black people can internalize the white gaze. Not because we want to, but because it is so darn contagious. Somebody say amen. Even in these hot, moss times, I'm at point number two. In the midst of itchy ear false teachings, we, like Paul, are called to fight the faith, to fight the faith, to fight with faith and finish the race. That's hard to say. The God who has snatched Shadrach, Abednego, out of the lion's den, the God who knows how to deliver Daniel, is the same God who's given us every good gift and every tool we need to rescue ourselves from this abomination that is racism. Fannie Lou Hamer was an illiterate Mississippi woman who happened to sing in the choir with my mom in Ruleville, Mississippi. She tells a story of being arrested 
for standing up for voting rights and being put in a jail cell with five men, two black prisoners, and three white officers, and that the white officers gave the black prisoner a blackjack and said, if you don't beat her, I'm going to kill you. And they beat her, and they beat her, and they beat her, and they beat her, until they were told to stop beating her. And then the second one was told to take the blackjack and beat her, and beat her, and beat her. She said she doesn't know when she passed out, but she did. And Fannie Lou Hamer, quote, illiterate woman, knew her some gospel, knew her some Jesus, and says this in her 1964 speech as she ran for office. I was led out of that cell into another cell where they had two Negro prisoners, and the three white men in that room beat me. They ordered me to lay down on a bunk bed with my face down, and they beat me. The black men said, move your hand, lady, I don't want to hit you in your hand. And I had to keep my hand there to protect myself because I had polio, and they beat me. And they beat me. And even still, she said, we don't have anything to fear. I don't know how today, I don't know how tonight, whether I'll actually get back to Ruleville, but all that they can destroy is the Fannie Lou Hamer you meet here tonight. But it's the Fannie Lou Hamer that God holds that will keep on living day after day. Righteousness, she says, exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Blessed are they that moan, she said, for they'll be comforted. And we've moaned a long time here in Mississippi. And Jesus said the meek will inherit the earth, and there's no race in America that's meeker than the Negro. We're the only race in America that's had babies sold from our breasts, which was slavery time and had mothers sold from their babies. And we're the only race in America that had one man had to march through a mob crew to go to school. We don't have anything to be ashamed of. All we have to do is trust God and launch out into the deep. All we have to do is trust God and launch out into the deep. She goes on to say, we're not fighting against these people because we hate them. We're fighting against these people because we love them, and we're the only thing that can save them now. Do you hear that? We're not fighting against these people because we hate them. We're fighting against these people because we love them, and we're the only ones who can save them now. Friends, we are the only ones that can redeem the soul of America. By we, I mean we, the black people in this congregation, whose ancestors who've come over a way that with tears has been watered. By we, I mean every African-descended person in this room whose parents lived with abject poverty and lived in segregation and walked back to school to go to the school, drank from the separated water fountain. By we, I mean every descendant of enslaved Africans in this country. But I also mean we everybody in this room. I mean the white people in this room who walk by the white church to come to the black church to hear the black dreadlock lady preach in the mixed church about how we will overcome. You make a choice, okay? You make a choice 
to listen to us go Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, revolutionary love, love, love. And the choice you make is the choice to be liberators of God's people. And I am so glad you're here because we cannot heal this hot mess all by our damn selves. Somebody say amen. amen. And I think, I think the third thing that I want to say is I'm tired. I'm tired because I was in Austin, Texas and got home at midnight last night. But I'm tired. I'm tired of what feels like we don't think we can do better. I'm tired of what feels like we've had the movements and maybe we don't see enough results and so maybe we're ready to sit down someplace and just do the best we can. Put our children in private school, just do the best, let them do the best they can. Um, invest in our retirements and do the best we can. Give air kisses to each other in this multiracial space and go home having done the best we can. It's like we're afraid to put our lives on the line. Like that day is over. Like we did that already. They already, you know, they already sat at the lunchroom counters and had ketchup bottles smashed on their heads. Elijah Cummings already tried to integrate a, a swimming pool in Baltimore and got hit in the head with a bottle and carried a lifeline. He did that already. They already got beaten with batons as they marched across the Pettus Memorial Bridge. We did that already. Dogs had already been snapped and bit. We did that movement already. We don't need to go that far anymore. I'm tired of feeling like we have satisfied ourselves with the work that we're called to do. In the last speech before he was killed, when Dr. King was preaching about having been to the mountaintop, he said something like, I'm not worried about anything, I'm not fearing any man, because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He'd been to the mountaintop, and his eyes had seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I'm not fearing anything. I'm not worried about anything except our apathy. Because I too have seen the mountaintop. I have seen the rallying of bodies and souls in Ferguson, Missouri. I have seen people stand up for Freddie Gray. I've seen a whole movement grow up around three queer black women who dared to say Black Lives Matter and the whole globe caught an imagination for Black Lives Matter. I have seen my great uncle George take bullets in his house trying to register people to vote. How dare we not vote? I have seen the struggling, praying on their knees work of poor black women in Mississippi trying to make a difference. I'm so sure that we're not finished with this race. I'm tired of the apathy. I'm tired of the settling. I want you furious that any black child learns in a classroom with less 
tools than white children. I want you furious at the 13 times wage gap between black family of four and white family of four. I want you furious that there's someone in the White House who will not be content until we go back to the good old lynching days. And you can say, Jackie, this, our faith is not about this, and I'm going to tell you, hell yeah, it is. <laughs> this is exactly what it's about. It's about making God's reign on earth, and God's reign on earth is about all the people everywhere being safe and loved and cherished and seen and well and surviving and thriving. This is our calling. This is our job. This is our task, is to finish the work because we have faith in the one who created us equal, to link arms, to join hands, and to march to the kingdom of God together and to not be satisfied until racism is a pastime paradigm. That's our work. That's our job. That's our calling. So 400 years from now, all the little Latino children and all the little Chinese children and all the white children and all the black children look back on this time and laugh at how foolish we were and rejoice at how far we've come. Thank you, amen. <laughs>